Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have crew member Sue. Hi, everybody. And Grace. Excelsior! <laughs> and uh, today we're having a book club discussion about Starfleet Academy, the 2015 comic book miniseries published by IDW. But before we get into it, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Uh, our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards like creative thanks on our social media up to including silly watch long commentaries and we have even uh we have higher tiers of rewards where you can help us pick episode topics or even guest on the show so if you're interested in supporting us and able to do so please visit patreon.com slash women at warp that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash women at warp they are all tiers of joy but we're hoping to progress to tiers for fears <laughs> Not to mention some exclusive content. Like just oh, recently, yeah. we released the audio from the uh, Star Trek Discovery panel at AwesomeCon this year. Mm. Was it awesome? It was awesome. Ooh! You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to help people find the show. And uh, Sue and Grace, I think you have another piece of housekeeping about conventions coming up. We do. At the time that this episode is released the following weekend. Uh, Grace and I both plan to be at Universal FanCon in Baltimore. So that is April 27th to 29th, 2018. We are just attending, but we will be around. Uh, we will be on Twitter and we will probably be hanging out together for at least part of that time. So if you're there, uh, hit us up and we'd love to meet you. We're so excited to be seeing this con happen. So I can't wait. Yeah, this is a brand new con that is built with the express purpose of inclusion and diversity. So it's it's really exciting to see it come to fruition. It has been a long time coming. Cool. Well, uh, shall we get started on our book club then? Let's. Let's get clubbing in this book. Our tea and cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> That's what I imagine people eat at real book clubs. Mine just in involved a bunch of moose crunch. <laughs> So as I said, this uh, session, this time around, we are reading the Starfleet Academy IDW comic miniseries. So this was a five-issue miniseries released in a trade paperback that was in 2015, written by Mike Johnson and Ryan Parrott, uh, with charming art by Derek Charm. Hmm. I should write his promotional materials. <laughs> Anyone want to maybe start us off with like a really high level sort of look at the premise for this? So first of all, this takes place in the Kelvin timeline, and we're dealing mainly with two different time periods. The one um, when Uhura and Kirk are at the academy and Spock is an instructor slash grad student. And then a couple years later, where we meet our new cast, which uh, include a Vulcan woman, a couple of human women and some different aliens, and they're both trying- Alien dudes. Yeah. They're both trying to solve the same mystery, which is that of a NX-class ship, the NX-05 USS Slayton, that went missing in a nearby, close-to-Earth section of space that is full of anomalies. Hmm. 
I was initially kind of skeptical with the concept for this because on one hand, I really liked the idea of getting to see um, the story is primarily based around Uhura going out there and trying to solve this mystery, which is in itself really cool. You know, mystery solving, Uhura time. She's going on adventures again, Starfleet Command. (laughs) Yes. I want this show now, which I'm guessing we're talking like a 90s sitcom. Sometimes Chekhov is there, but mostly it's Kirk. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> uh, with the familiar characters coming back, that's definitely a good starting off point for the story. And honestly, I was a little skeptical about how it's like, well, you're bringing in these characters that we already know and are familiar with. How are you going to really follow that up with new characters? Especially when I realized it was going to be jumping around timeline-wise, I was really uh, skeptical about whether that would actually work story-wise or whether it would just get a little convoluted and weird. Because um, with a franchise story like Star Trek, you always run the risk whenever someone is trying their hand at adding to the mythos and adding to the story... This is a complaint I have a lot with so many uh, superhero comics. There's always someone trying to reinvent the wheel and trying to just completely redo the whole thing their way. Um, You get a lot of one-off characters. You get a lot of really forgettable revamps that way. So that's what I was a little concerned about when I saw that the comic was a couple of people we know and a whole bunch of people we don't know. And we're supposed to care about both groups equally. I was skeptical. I, uh, when I first learned about it was, um, I think at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention that year where, um, I talked to Sarah Gatos about it, who was, is the outgoing uh, editor for IDW com- uh, Star Trek comics. Shout out. Um, uh, it's worth mentioning that this is a YA title. So the Absolutely. goal with introducing these new younger characters was, give them their own generation of characters to care about that are a bit closer to the audience in age. Um, I mean, Starfleet Academy is not a new idea. Like, it's been done in comics. It's been done in amazingly bad, uh, like, teen novels, um, <laughs> as well as uh, TV. Those are the best books. Stop making fun of them. I read those over and over and over. I just don't think they were very good. <laughs> They're amazing. (laughs) Yes. Which is a pretty smart idea, especially considering how much uh, the new movies and the JJ-verse are bringing a whole new generation of fans in, Mm -hmm. people who hadn't really thought of Star Trek as something accessible or interesting until this movie came out and then these sequels came out. And now it's a good getting into point for a lot of people. Yeah, and but what I think is is equally or more important in introducing these characters because you know you could argue okay yeah but like maybe Chris Pine is still cool I don't know I'm I'm not that young um, <laughs> maybe Zachary Quinto is still cool they are both very cool on the eyes but as we've talked about in our JJ verse mo- our episode pre beyond the crew is not super diverse and. IDW Comics in 2015 seemed like they were really only producing Kelvin timeline titles. So that was the moneymaker at the time, I guess. Well, yeah, or I'm not sure what the relationship was with CBS or, you know, why exactly that was. But if you're going to stick in the Kelvin, ta- Kelvin timeline and you want to make it more diverse, then you have to bring in new characters because they just aren't there. That said, it's really cool that with the original cast of characters that this is centered around, Uhura is the main focus. It's really cool that they brought her 
in there and put her in the spotlight. Yeah. I think it could have been done better, but agreed <laughs> on that point. I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> well, why not just start right there then? Because the first thing we see and a thread that continues throughout is she's breaking up with Spock. Or he's breaking up with her, rather. Can we really just throw in a Friends reference here and just straight up say they were on break? Yeah, they, they decided to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got from this that this was after Star Trek 2009, but pre-Discovery. Or, sorry, pre-Into um, Darkness for Agreed. their timeline. Agreed. What I got from it was that it was um, between... The first part of Uhura and Kirk joining Starfleet in the first movie, and then the events of the movie actually happening. Well, it references the bar fight, specifically. Yeah. I feel like if it was uh, between the whole two movies, she'd have a lot more things to be offended at Kirk over. Yeah, also, I didn't get the impression they all went back to the Academy right after, and they would have known each other better, so yeah. that that seems valid. Uh -huh. um, but Spock's basically like, I'm an instructor, we can't be together, and she's... She's like, bullshit. <laughs> you only taught me once. You don't teach me anymore. And, and you were a grad student. And I am an yeah. adult capable of making my own decisions. Spock. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say in this scene, I really like um, there's a panel where this alien woman is breaking up with or like. She's walking out on a date with get, Kirk. I guess like leaving Kirk. And she's. He was like, Celia, you were right. He's just a lying, misogynistic narcissist with dreamy blue eyes. From now on, I'm done with humans. And also, if you look close. We get Morn in the background. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Which I feel like needs to be on contract for every IDW Star Trek comic. If there is a scene in a bar, Morn has to be there in some capacity. Maybe there's a painting of him hanging over the bar. I don't know. Just make it so. That happens throughout the miniseries, though, there are aliens that we've seen in all of the series in the background of panels constantly. Mm -hmm. That's part of what I love about seeing Star Trek get to be uh, used in the comic medium. You can do a lot more visually than you can do with a TV budget or than a lot of times they've been willing to do on a TV show. It costs just as much to draw an alien as a human. Exactly. We get to see the whole alienness of it fleshed out more. You can just you can just say, oh, this guy's an alien. They're an alien. And you don't have to spend eight hours working on prosthetics or trying to make another LeMay cat suit not look terrible. So how did you feel about this whole instructor-student breaking up situation? Uh, I felt kind of, uh, I'm going to be honest here, from the get-go, anytime there's immediately romantic tension in a YA story, I'm just kind of like, oh, here we go. <laughs> um, I'm a little over it at this point is what I'm saying, but, um, I think that, uh, at the risk of starting any drama here, I think that Spock had a point, but at the same time, it felt like it was kind of unnecessary to the story and just kind of being, like, dramatic for the sake of dramatic from the get-go. I mean, we've got this cool mystery to get into. Don't, don't try and sideline me with this teen romance. I don't want it. Not here. <laughs> but that's me. Yeah, I mean, I think this it was my least favorite part of the comic. I, I like the other storyline a lot better. But because of what we've talked about before in the JJ movies about how, unfortunately, Uhura is often has like her 
what could be really awesome moments kind of superseded by being Spock's girlfriend. Yeah. And I thought that that unfortunately kind of like it starts and ends her storyline in this series, mini series where it starts out by breaking up and then it's kind of implied there's even a part where she asks herself like, am I just doing this because I'm upset about breaking up with Spock? And uh, then at the end, he bails her out from discipline from uh, Admiral Marcus and I just thought it was like a bit disappointing because she was being super awesome and badass, but it it kind of undermined it by making it all still all about Spock. Yeah. Yeah. He took these actions to protect her instead of having this character because she she did break rules. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome. We get to see her be proactive and be like working towards figuring out this mystery. And, you know, she gets to recruit people onto it and when mm-hmm. they want out she's like okay you're out i respect that but instead of seeing one of our characters take responsibility for her actions or defend herself or you know, fight back against the punishment however you want to play that story we have spock figuring out what she was up to and creating a situation where she won't get in trouble protecting her it's a and bit of a cop-out yeah. yeah she doesn't need that she shouldn't need that mm-hmm I do like her recruiting Chekhov to help her and sort of reluctantly asking Kirk to help her. I thought that those scenes were kind of fun and true to those characters. I love that we get this one-page spread of her, like, accepting that Chekhov doesn't want to be in on these shenanigans anymore. So she's, like, giving him this goodbye hug, and then you cut to Chekhov's face, and he's just like, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, a hot girl's hugging me! And you cut to her face, and she's just kind of like, Yeah, we're doing this. (laughs) I appreciated that page a lot. It was cute. Yes. I I I like I bought it as consistent with the the JJ verse. Yeah. You got to appreciate that the characterizations are consistent with the JJ verse and I I thought they did that pretty well. I thought they uh did that pretty well with Kirk with establishing off the back that he's kind of a jag, but also a good guy jag even though we've established that making Kirk uh, making Kirk a jag in the JJ verse wasn't really necessary because he's not a jag; he just comes off as one. But that's an argument for a whole nother time. It served definitely as a reminder that Kelvin Kirk and Prime Kirk are very different characters. Yeah, but we do get this great one-liner from Kirk, and I'm trying to look it up right now because I thought it encapsulates even beyond the Kelvin timeline the Kirk character so well, and it's something along the lines of. Uh, I'm dumb enough to think I'm smart enough to get out of pretty much anything. It's just a great one-liner from him. and it, <laughs> Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> I love that characterization, and it's fabulous. Yeah. So like I said, I feel like the writer had these characters pegged. Yeah, I. Um, the other consistent character is Admiral Marcus, who is a jerk face. And scary looking. Yeah, scary and uh, with very questionable ethics in both... Uh, the movie and Into Darkness and the comic where he basically is like, yeah, we covered up this ship that went missing because it was a mutiny. And we didn't want to make this powerful guy's son look bad. Yeah, that like the guy who mutinied was the son of the man who founded Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get that everyone kind of, you know, that Uhura almost got in serious trouble for it. But I still, I was like kind of disappointed that they still just agreed to leave it after that. Also, just kind of bringing in Marcus in the third act and being like, oh, Marcus, something's going to happen. Shit's going to go down. And no, no, Spock's cleaning this up. Nope. No trouble here. It was a bit of a letdown, but it was still cool, the surprise of having him show up. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, and we also got to see uh, Gayla being her very live dancey roommate. That was fun. Fun little one shot there. Because of course she was. Yeah. Cool. Well, anything more on the sort of Uhura Spock side of the plot? Again, I was really skeptical with these are characters I know and like. How are these other characters going to compare to that? Well, how did they, Grace? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. Does either one of you want to sum up what the, what our um, second plot for the arc is? Yeah, so of we have a set of five cadets. Uh, Talon, the Vulcan woman. Uh, Lucia Gonzalez, who is a human woman. Or Lu- I don't whether it's Lucia or Lucia. There is no, there is no accent mark in the comic. But I so. gotta be a snob. Okay. So we'll go with Lucia. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, Chev, who is an Andorian male. Grace Chen, who is a human and has some kind of like exoskeleton she built herself. Badass. So I kind of want to know more about that, but we don't get to find out. And then, um, Vel who is an alien that reminds me of Arix from the animated series. <laughs> yeah, he's called a M- Monchezkin. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, the promotional art for the series uh, says that his favorite food is pistachio mooncake. He likes maracas hol- and holographic microscopes and dislikes lying and low ceilings because he's very And tall. his yearbook quote is, this is a quote I am giving. <laughs> yeah. He's he's purred happily. He's definitely like the funny um, sort of other type character where he has uh, this trait because his people communicate through like chemicals in their skin or something. And so they don't need to verbalize thoughts. And so he's very into verbalizing even the most obvious thoughts. And it's kind of entertaining. I kind of like that we get to have him as the Greek chorus, though, kind of being like, now we are walking. Now I am afraid. This is happening. Yes. I also thought he had maybe some of the nicest scenes in his challenge section because he's uh, like medical uh, yeah. in medical stream. And he has uh, takes like a really unconventional approach to this challenge that is definitely not what the test was about, but would have actually mm-hmm. stood a really good chance of saving the patient's life. And mm-hmm. has a really nice moment where they're like, well, this wasn't about saving the patient's life. And he's like, it's always about saving the patient's life. Yeah, we haven't explained the whole Triwizard tournament. Oh, yeah, sorry. Let's let's explain that. Uh, so we've got our Vulcan woman, Talon, who's currently at a point where she's considering dropping out of Starfleet and going to New Vulcan to be with other Vulcans because her family died when Vulcan imploded and she just wants to be among her own people. And when she brings this up to her, let's just call him her Dumbledore for the time being, his advice is that she gets in on a team activity and that maybe actually trying to involve herself with other people and get to know them at Starfleet will change her mind. So he offers her is, uh, offers her an in to this big competition that's happening for the 100-year anniversary of Starfleet Academy, where they're going to be having students from different uh, training academies throughout the Federation competing against each other in basically the Triwizard Tournament. Yeah. And she gets slapped with this band of misfits that we already described. Yes. So, yeah, um, Vel has the medical covered. Chev is, like, the, I guess, the security slash weapons guy. Yeah, he's totally that kid who just wants a gun. He had to basically compete in Ender's game. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But that was pretty cool. 
Grace is the pilot, and Talon is engineering, which I means transporters for reasons. And Lucia is like general knowledge. Yeah, like it says her academic emphasis is diplomacy, but she basically is doing trivia. Yeah. But my favorite, favorite panel is one of the questions is, what is the Klingon word for anti-disestablishmentarianism? And her answer is, talk. <laughs> so good. That was good. <laughs> I, would, I would love to get to do just Space Jeopardy and be able to put it on my transcript. That would be amazing, right? So did you guys have a favorite character or a favorite like part of the challenge? Yes. <laughs> I instantly glommed, glommed on to Chev because I have a very, very intense kin- kinship with other assholes who are freckly. <laughs> and also he has a cheese name. This reminded me of when we read the Worlds of Deep Space Nine, the mm-hmm. Andorian from that, who yeah. is also like sort of shunned by his family. Um, yeah. This guy isn't to that extent, but like his parents didn't want him to go to the academy. And so he's got this big chip on his shoulder sort of yeah. like the, the guy on DS9. I love bratty dudes with chips on their shoulders when they're actually not assholes. So <laughs> I love that you said he had a cheese name because I thought the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Cheese brain! Cheese brain! Cheese brain! He's fresh cheese. <laughs> He's fresh with everybody. Oh, man. He also is not a fan of Talon. Mm-hmm. He's like super, he's like, we need to win this thing. Racist. That's his number one goal. Like, win this thing and make his parents proud, and he's worried that Talon won't do as good of a job. Yeah, so it's her research. that This whole thing culminates in a scavenger hunt, sure, of nearby Earth systems, which is silly if one of the nearby Earth systems is quarantined, don't you think? But Mm -hmm. uh, Talon discovers, not really discovers, but notices um, this, this sector while she is trying to prepare for the scavenger hunt and learn as much as she can about the nearby systems and comes across, I think before the scavenger hunt, Uhura's message that says there's something weird going on here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's like left a coded message. And again, we get that back and forth jumping uh, through the different times. And that's our first real connection we get from the two, other than some cryptic name dropping of a missing ship. So that's when our plots converge. Mm-hmm. Sue, did you have a favorite member of the team or challenge aspect? I also just love Andorians. So. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the general trivia, and I <laughs> really enjoyed that Lucia smoked everybody in it mm-hmm. by like 10,000 points. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down. She's the Ken Jennings of Starfleet. Lucia's also like the the most friendly to Talon and just kind of generally think supportive and um I, I liked her a lot as well. Grace, we don't really like she's one I would like to know a lot more about. Um we learn that yeah, she's built this sort of exoplating, like maybe she was born with a disability. I thought well, that was the implication, yeah, which is really badass, but we don't really learn anything about it. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, sort of wrapped around her legs. And she just kind of offhands, like, oh, yeah, I made these. I've made cooler stuff, though. And it's like, what's well, tell us. I'm curious now. She's also the youngest one. She's supposed to only be 19. Um, and she is a super badass pilot. I think it's really cool that we've also got a pretty 
diverse crew here. Not only are the majority women, but we've got a good amount of aliens also. And uh, of our humans, two out of three are POC, which is awesome. Well, actually, two for two. <laughs> yeah, two. Talon's a Vulcan. But yeah. I keep forgetting. Sorry. <laughs> which is pretty cool representation wise. And we were talking about how uh, representation wise, we've kind of got some issues with our original cast. So I thought it was cool that they were kind of trying to bridge the gap there. Mm-hmm. So in the challenge, uh, Sue mentioned like Talon has to do a transporter thing where she has to beam up this away team that's caught in the middle of some storms and she does not win. The Vulcan guy that's sort of competing with her wins. The Vulcan who's given her grief for being in Starfleet. Yeah, there's this whole thing about like since Vulcan was destroyed, it's loyal to go back to Vulcan and help rebuild and it's selfish to stay on Earth. And so that's sort of the pressure she's dealing with. And she doesn't win the transporter thing because she hesitates at giving all these people like lethal radiation poisoning. So wouldn't it have been great if she'd beamed up if they'd beamed up all those dummies and they'd had like the bad prosthetics of rocks sticking out of their face like in Enterprise when they have a transporter accident? <laughs> I would have found that entertaining. But probably just me. Yeah. <laughs> dummies are full of rocks. Oh no. Here's the thing that gets me about this competition. They, in the two challenges that really deal with hypothetically other people's lives, mm. they explicitly state in both of them that you just have to be fastest. You don't actually have to save them. Like in the medical mm -hmm. one, the point is not to save your patient. And then in this one, it doesn't matter that the, the Vulcan harmed, like covered his, his, hypothetical crew in 98% burns and it filled them with radiation poisoning because he got them up first. And that, Yeah, I really... I question the scoring methods to this if that's really their priority. Yeah, both of those things seem very un-Starfleet to me. Yep. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was the rules that they had to agree on with all the other training academies. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I mean, uh, so at the end of the day, they're on the scavenger hunt and lo and behold, they run into the quarantine system. What are the odds? And they're running behind. They're losing. Oh, no. Yeah. So they're trying to use the anomaly to get to, like, catch up speed. But instead, dun, 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 they get drawn in. What? And come face to face with the NX-05 USS Slayton. The Whoa. one that's been missing for over 100 years? Yeah, I want to talk about that for a second, too. In <laughs> Sorry, Andy makes fun of me because okay. I notice these little stupid things. But <laughs> they keep saying that this is this this whole Triwizard tournament is because <laughs> of the hundredth anniversary of the founding of Starfleet Academy. And then Which was mm, a direct result of this ship getting lost and this guy's dad thinking that they needed a more intensive training right. uh, for future Starfleet officers. But our one early scene that we have on the Slayton says 100 years before the founding of Starfleet Academy. So oh. that puts 200 years between the events on the Slayton and the events that happen in in our, our normal timeline and the one that, that we're spending most oh, yeah. of our time in. But well, Uhura says when she's talking to Marcus, well, the Slayton went missing 100 years ago. 
So somebody can't do math. And then when they're on the Slayton, uh, the captain is like, so are we 100 years in the future or are you 100 years behind? And they say like, no, you've been stuck in this thing for more than 100 years. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that there was a mistake. Just I was probably meant to be a typo because I can't imagine that it would take 100 years to establish the academy. I also can't imagine it would only be like one year. Right. But... Yeah. Also, can we just appreciate for a second that they name drop a character on the ship as Julia Bashir? Yes. yes. <laughs> and then she gets shot. I didn't like that as much. She only gets stunned. Yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. Like more, but <laughs> maybe she she should have been the captain. That would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think she was medical branch. Yeah. It seemed like maybe she was the first officer because they the uh, mutineer was the chief engineer yeah. and that. She's the one who kind of comes on the ship to tell the captain, like, everything's bad. But we digress, because our plucky band of misfits is able to team up with these old 100-year, possibly 200-year fogies and figured out how to get them home. Yep. They lose the Triwizard Tournament, though. <laughs> but they get better special medals from who um who do you think the woman was because this was another um cool background diversity moment i thought maybe she was supposed to be like the chancellor of the academy or something i thought that was the tellerite was in charge of i thought that he was just her supervisor yeah he was her hmm her assigned buddy professor. Well, anyway, the woman who's in charge of the tournament and also gives them the medals at the end. Can we backtrack to the Tellerite for just a second here? Because yep. he his first response to this woman saying, I I really need to be with my people in this time of hardship is, you should join a sports team! And I really want to uh, believe that that's how he addresses every problem that comes to him. She, does, she just refers to him as Pro- Professor Trumbull. That's yeah. adorable. But I don't think the woman who gives them the medals is ever given a name. No, I don't. I agree. Trumbull's got the fix for your troubles, and it's sportsmanship. She is presenting the medals on behalf of Starfleet, not on of the Academy. And she does have some so, sick blue lipstick. Yeah. I'm guessing some kind of admiral or, or maybe higher rank. Yeah. It looks like she's wearing an admiral... Well, I'm seeing, I don't know, I'm not there as familiar five, with the rank system in the JJ universes, so unfortunately I cannot. There are five bands on her cuffs, so I would think Admiral. Okay, well, that's cool. Anyway, I assume she was she was in, in some sort of leadership role, the fact that she was, like, emceeing this competition and giving out awards, and has awesome blue lipstick. So basically we get um, our scrappy new crew comes home, they save this ship that's been lost in space. Different franchise, but similar concept. Um, they come back. They're like, yeah, we solved this mystery. We saved all these people. And then we get to have a cool bonding moment of Ahura reaching out and going, hey, good job, kid. Mm-hmm. Nice work. And then we get the proverbial towel toss of approval from her to our new kids. And thusly, the torch is passed and these new characters are approved of and we know there will be more cadets to pass on the tradition and do neater shit that the first time around people couldn't do. Yep. So these the dress uniforms that the cadets are wearing, like that are white with sort of red panels down the sides, I feel mm-hmm. like those are new. Like we had not seen those before. Yeah, they could be. 
The other thing I thought was new is one of the dresses that Uhura is wearing at certain points that has this, like, center panel mm. with the delta in it. Interesting. I didn't know that. Maybe there's different types of cadet uniform that you can swap out. Or maybe she was just trying a new look that week. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, when we get that tie around in the end of sort of the ha- the baton passing of being like, yeah, you guys are you guys are doing good stuff. You're moving Starfleet forward. That's mm-hmm. when the whole thing kind of comes around. And that was the point when I got the, oh, now I see it thing of how the two universes um, or universes the two sort of time frames that we've got going on with the two separate stories and groups of people how it really marries together that's when it all kind of comes together and when we got to that point i was like yeah it works it uh, it took a while for me to totally uh get that marriage of ideas but when when it got there it was pretty good and i appreciated it that's cool did you feel so? This was something um, that I saw in one of my friends' reviews on Goodreads. Was like, was the Uhura Spock thing even necessary? No, it was not. No. Yeah, I feel like they could have given the mystery to Talon and developed her a little bit further, and I don't think it would have been a drawback. Again, I'm pretty sure anytime there's some kind of YA story going on, though, there has to be at least a partial romantic subplot wedged in there somewhere. So I think they could have given the mystery to to Talon, but I also think they could have done it with Uhura without the Spock thing. Mm, yeah. And I feel like it was in there not only because people think YA has to have romance in it, but because um, they wanted to play the joke of Kirk not knowing who Uhura was dating. Mm-hmm. But let's be real. The joke is always on Kirk and the Kelvin timeline. Well, yeah. I, they also could have possibly not jumped around timelines and just had Uhura coming at it from, like, on the ship she's discovered this mystery. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. at Starfleet Academy, Talon's coming at the mystery from a different angle. Yeah, I I feel like, though, if she were on the ship, if they had them as officers, she wouldn't have needed Chekhov's help. Yeah. To to zero in on that signal, and that's a way to get a, another one of our characters in. Yeah, that's yeah. true. It kind of bugs me that she still needed help anyway, because this is her specialty. But, you know, I'm not going to say no to Chekhov. Yeah, and so you mentioned that there's, like, some other sort of cameos from familiar aliens and characters. Did you have any that particularly stood out to you? Oh my gosh, there are so many in background scenes, and I just really appreciated it. The melty face people! Yeah, I know. Well, and I mean, we had... The you know the same species that's later the president of the Federation as a doctor, um, mm-hmm. the guy yeah. with like the long white mustache. Uh, we get in our first scene when we uh, we see Spock and Uhura at dinner. We get some of the half black, half white, half white, half black uh-huh. dudes, and I like to think they were on a date. <laughs> there's a Kazinti. There's um like the bird alien. There's the uh, like cactus alien. <laughs> Some of Phlox's species are there being creepy looking, so it's good to know that that's universal for them. I really appreciate the cactus alien randomly from <laughs> yeah. from yeah. the animated series. <laughs> well, why the hell not? Morn was great. I really enjoyed the art. Um, no- Denobulin was back mm-hmm. there. Yeah, Charm's artwork is really good. It's such a fine line to walk when you're doing something... Um, that is not quite a media tie-in, but enough that there's a likeness issue there where you have to make your characters look like specific actors and work from reference. It can come off really uncomfortably mm-hmm. uncanny and wooden, 
But I feel like Charm got the likenesses down and was able to have fun with it and really make it work. And in comic books, you don't always have a lot of room to draw these background characters. And yet, they're all recognizable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciated that. Especially in the scene where we get to see Vel breakdancing. <laughs> that was really fun. Of course. It's always good when you have an alien breakdancing. There's no way you can't win with it. Yeah. Also... <laughs> Also, our main character just getting to say to a guy who's hitting on her, I don't want to mate with you. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yes, we do. We get to see a party that she is very not into. And in that party scene, the DJ who is like scratching records is um, the same species as Eric's from the animated series. <laughs> <laughs> Those extra arms probably come in really handy when you're scratching the vinyl. The third arm coming out of the middle of his chest is he's <laughs> on a record. It's great. Basically, world building, world building wise and visually, there's a lot to appreciate uh, about this comic. Oh no, there's a Benzite who's a cadet, so clearly it's the Kelvin verse because we know in the Prime verse <laughs> that there's no Benzite cadets before mm -hmm. Mordok. Also, for some reason, they'll only accept like four cadets at a time in that one. I was never quite sure what was going on in that episode. <laughs> it was weird. Also, none of us will ever, ever be that smart. Eh, I'll live. <laughs> Yeah, I thought like the art was really um, fun and accessible, but you know there was some creative use of angles, and there were lots of nice sort of shots, I guess, or panels with Talon and some of the other characters that just took a really nice advantage of geometry mm -hmm. and and shadow, and so it was like simple but really effective. Which is really good when you're working with aliens because there's a lot of potential to play around there. And we did get some really beautiful cover artwork from Charm and we had one from Jen Bartell. And as always, just some beautiful work from George. I'm not, I'm probably not saying his name right. Castell Castelletos, um, my apologies for not saying that right. But his cover work is always just oh jaw dropping. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool to get to see him get incorporated into more and more stuff. We also got some very cute uh, Paulina Ganeshaw art, whose work I love. Nice. I get excited about comics. <laughs> There's also like this whole metaphor with this Vulcan tree that was planted on Earth and to memorialize the victims of the Vulcan implosion, explosion, implosion. The big planet go boom. In Star Trek 2009. Yeah. And uh, it turned a different color because it was on Earth and it's like a metaphor. I liked long. that. I thought it was sweet. Honest question. Has that appeared in Star Trek before? The concept of on this planet, it's this color? No, but that doesn't like seem out of the realm of possibility. If you look at like plants like um, hydrangeas, mm -hmm. just the acidity of the soil turns it blue or purple. I remember... Calsodas. That is the artist's name. Sorry. I remember reading that in a fan fiction. Like 25 <laughs> hmm. years ago. Somebody makes a comment of... On this planet, the, the, the soil and the atmosphere make this plant blue instead of pink. And it's a Vulcan plant that was moved to Earth. Huh. And it just, it struck such a chord with me. I'm like, I wonder if they read this 25 year old fan fiction <laughs> and it planted a seed in their brain. Oh, it's not out of the ordinary for plants to respond differently in different environments. And that's a beautiful metaphor to work from there alone. Oh, absolutely. It was just, it was so like strikingly similar that I'm like, I wonder if somebody read that and that seed was planted and like came back years later in a comic hmm. book. Fascinating. 
But another part of that tree is that, like, I guess the gravity of Earth, instead of making the branches hang down, make it spiral. So it's something new and beautiful because of its environment. I'm not sure how to follow that up. I feel like I should say something beautiful and articulate, but all I've got is environments, man. They're weird. (laughs) I mean, botany. It's YA. It was a bit heavy handed, but it's kind of cute. It's a beautiful memorial that we'll probably never see again. (laughs) Well, I mean, okay, so there's another interesting point. So when I interviewed Sarah Gatos about this in 2015, uh, she said that the goal was if, you know, and if this series was popular enough, they would uh, try to spin it into a regular title. That would have been nice. Yeah, my question was, would that have worked? And what would you have liked to see as their next adventure? What do you think could have been the next storyline? We had just a fun group dynamic going. So I feel like as far as that goes, Star Trek has always been an ensemble series in just about every iteration. So there's fun to be had there with just these characters, how their different dynamics work, and how they would face problems together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder, based on their difference in age, whether they would have eventually done a story about some of them graduating, but not mm-hmm. all of them. Ooh. Yep. It, that could be interesting. We don't usually see our crews or our teams or our casts breaking apart before the end of a story. And of course, with any YA series, we would have gotten a forced romantic subplot. Sure. So who So who would you ship? <laughs> <laughs> Other than the half black, half white, half white, black, half black guys. Talon and Lucia, definitely. Mm. She really wanted her to stay on that team and be friends with her. I was seeing it. I yep. was seeing it. Or Chev and Vel and two other people? With various partners involved. <laughs> Who knows? And Dorian's man. Maybe Talon would end up dating that formerly mean Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> I no, don't know. He, no. no beefos? He doesn't. No. <laughs> he, he seemed like a jerk. And even though he acknowledged he was a jerk at the end, he only acknowledged it in private. Yeah, and true. Yeah, yeah, no. Someone who's only willing to admit they're wrong when they know that no one else will hear it. Meh, not that great. Yeah. But again, I think we should also ask, if this had gotten extended into a series, what tired YA cliches would we have loved to see shoehorned in at some point? (laughs) Hmm. Love triangle, yay. The big dance is coming up, but the Klingons are attacking. Team Chev or Team Val? <laughs> we have to overthrow a corrupt government. Uh someone could uh come down after falling in love, come down with a tragic tragic illness and they have to enjoy their last summer together. Some oh god, too real. <laughs> too real YA wise. Uh someone's long wow. lost estranged twin shows up that is much better liked by their parents. I'm going to guess Chev. Yeah, probably. Chev, yeah. I mean, I was thinking the person with the tragic illness and, like, they're enjoying their last summer together and then, like, at the end and they're, like, ready to say goodbye and then, like, they, Bones is just, like, out on Earth visiting people and he's like, I can take care of this. Damn it, Jim. Doesn't anyone use pills anymore? And he, like, pulls a pill out of his bag. What are these, the Dark Ages? Oh, oh, I got it. I got it. We get to see Vel discover Morrissey and go through a really douchey phase. <laughs> and then it progresses into an emo phase. Somebody ha- lies, creates a bunch of lies to get popular <laughs> and then has to deal with the consequences. Yeah. 
And then the big chili cook-off comes up. And they're on separate teams! <laughs> Let's just see how many Babysitter's Club plots we can transport into this universe. That's pretty much universe. what I'm drawing from here. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then they start a Babysitter's Club. I'm also thinking of just the other Starfleet Academy things I've read, but I'm having trouble remembering those old books. I mean, they're not that old. I guess they were 90s. I'm going to have to find some now. Worf's was the first one. I can picture the cover. I just want to see Teen Adventures of Worf now. Yep. Or maybe they all go to a shopping mall and they get locked in and it's haunted. They, their van breaks down outside of town. <laughs> and they've got to figure out what's going on in that old mine shaft. They need to get a dog first, but I feel like they oh. can make it work. Someone finds a treasure map. Always- and leads them back to Wagner 19. Ah, mm. again? <laughs> hmm. But seriously, I really enjoyed this. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. a lot of fun and super fast-paced. And yeah, it was just, uh, I was smiling a lot yeah. while reading it. Yeah. It was just enjoyable. It was really fun. It was a good time. And I mean, I'm I'm not an art expert, but I mean, I mentioned I really liked the art. And like Grace said, like sometimes it can just get uncanny in Star Trek comics. Mm-hmm. Or I think this just, it just felt like it, it sort of almost reminded me of like the newer Archie comics in the style that it's a little mm-hmm. bit more grown up feeling than old Archie, but still. Still stylized and fun. Yeah. And accessible. Yeah. That's part of what I really liked about this. It was an accessible series, and I appreciate that a lot, especially when, unfortunately, with both comics and Star Trek, there's a level of gatekeeping there. So when you can make, oh, yeah, when you can be accessible on both fronts, that's always really good. Mm-hmm. I, it would have been nice to see more, um, but I think we we did get a, a good run and a good little trade paperback out of it. So I'd I'd recommend it for sure. If not for the cameo searches, then just for that one single page of an alien breakdancing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I read this when it first came out, and I didn't notice, like, any of the cameos. So then the second time around, I went like, what? <laughs> so I swear, IDW, between between Star Trek and their Ghostbusters comics, has the most square inchage cameo mm-hmm. for any publishing house. I swear, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just shows us that the people making these know the properties and love the properties. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, down to showing the Slayton crew wearing their NX-05 baseball caps. Yeah, that was pretty cute. Like, nice touch. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I love comics. All right. Do we have a rating system for this? We can. I give it four out of five three-arm DJ spinning discs. <laughs> okay, I'll give it four out of five background morns. I will give this 9 out of 10 Amazing Trips to Midtown Comics. Yay! (laughs) Or wherever your local comic book store is. Yes, to your local comic book store, not the one on the internet. All right. Well, um, thanks for joining us for our latest book club episode. If you would like to take part in the discussion for our next book club episode, you can head on over to goodreads.com. And if you just search Women at Warp in the groups, you will find our group and you can join it. And we will be announcing pretty soon what we're going to be reading next. And we love to hear your thoughts. Wrapping up then, Sue, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And Grace? 
You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank and Smoking Behind the Bleachers. <laughs> and uh, I'm Jared, and you can find me on Twitter at JaraPenguin. And you can also contact our show at crew at women at warp.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, Goodreads, um, our website, women at warp.com and Instagram now also at women at warp. So uh, check us out, get in touch. We love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Bye.